Good morning, all. Great to see you. I'm Greg Paris. Welcome to Union Chapel this morning. I know that you're already encouraged by our worship so far, and it's great to see you and a pleasure to have you today. Welcome. Uh, we're in a series of messages called Sojourner. We're talking about the life of Jesus as he makes his way to Jerusalem for the last time, for the Passover weekend when he will suffer and experience his passion and ultimately be raised to life to uh, liberate us from our sins. And so we celebrate the life of Jesus. And last week we talked about his primary relationships, his key relationships and how that may encourage our own relationships. And today I want to talk about Jesus at the crossroads of his life when he made the decision at the crossroads to go to Jerusalem for the last time, knowing full well that there was going to be much difficulty there. There was going to be rejection and persecution, suffering and death. And he made that decision. Now, I wonder today, how many of you are at a crossroads in your life where big choices are being made? If you're not at that place right now, you will be, or you have been, because that's the nature of life, isn't it? Life brings us inexorably toward these moments when we have to make big choices. And I think there are many things we can learn today from Jesus and the way he processed a big decision, the biggest decision in history, actually, and ways that we can apply that to our own lives and decision-making. So... We're going to use as our text today from Mark's Gospel, chapter 8. Mark, chapter 8, I'm going to read verses 27 to 38. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, uh, we'll project the words on the screen. And our custom is to stand to hear God's word. And so as you're able, thank you for doing that. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Now may God instruct us today through these important words. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Now, in your outline, you'll see that we want to just build a little foundation here before we get to this decision-making process. And the first thing we note is that Jesus now, at this point in his life, he turns very serious. He's very serious. He's very sober. He's somber. He's very focused. He's coming to this crossroads moment. We know that for three years, he's healed the sick. He's cast out demons. He's raised the dead. He walked on water. He turned water to wine. He multiplied fish and bread. He preached to thousands, he mentored a few, he loved the unlovable, he wept with those in grief, he celebrated and rejoiced with his friends, 
He has instructed anyone and everyone who would listen to him, instructed with authority. And so for these three years, he's left a trail of truth and wonder and curiosity and hope. He's been a man on a mission. Now the life of Jesus moves inexorably toward Jerusalem, the final chapter of his life on the earth, and he's at a crossroads of his life. He knows that what's coming in Jerusalem is going to be very, very difficult, not just for himself, but for his disciples as well. And so, therefore, in these chapters in Mark, we see Jesus as the master teacher trying to lock down in the minds and hearts of his followers who he actually is. We find him here in Mark 8. He's in the northern part of the country in Caesarea Philippi, and he is asking this important question. Who do men say that I am? And they get out their answers that they've heard. Well, some think you're John Baptist and others think you're one of the prophets. But Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And he coaxes out of Peter the right answer. And Peter says, you're the Messiah. And Jesus said, okay, well, you know something now that no one else knows. Now let me tell you more about what no one else knows. We're going to go to Jerusalem now and there's going to be rejection and suffering and death and on the third day I'll rise from the dead and Peter won't have anything to do with it and so he's he's emphasizing to them this somber serious moment of transition at the at the crossroads then we see Jesus entering into Jerusalem all the fun is behind them from this point forward Jesus performs no more miracles it is, it is a very serious last week. And as you recall, Jesus goes into Jerusalem for the last time. This is called the triumphal entry. They wave palm branches and lay, uh, lay them at his feet as he rides in on this donkey. He's, he's exalted as a king. And the people say what? They say, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna means save. Save us, Lord. Save us today. And their notion of who Jesus was, they, they hoped that he was a king He is indeed a king, but they had a different notion of who he was at the time because they believed, or they desired at least, to see a king who would restore the the throne of David, create a Zionist nation, and they would uh, be delivered from this Greek oppression, these Romans. And so they said, Hosea, save us, Lord. And so he's a king. Then Jesus walks up to a fig tree that last week. And this fig tree is, is there and it's alive, And he says, you know, this fig tree reminds me of the nation of Israel. It's alive, but it's bearing no fruit. There's no figs on the tree. So Jesus, as a prophetic sign act, if you will, curses this fig tree. And the disciples come back a day or two later and the tree's dead. And so Jesus displays to them that he is a prophet. He is not only the king, but he is a prophet. Then he goes into the temple. Now, what kind of a man goes into a temple? A priest. And he overturns the money changers and those selling other religious articles. And and so he exercises this priestly function of cleaning out his father's house. My father's house shall be a house of prayer. And so he is demonstrating that he is a priest. And then near the end of the week, he's confronted by the high priest and, and the teachers of the law. And they challenge his authority. By what right, by whose authority do you do and say these things? And they were trying to trap him. But Jesus asked them a penetrating question. He said, 
Well, listen, before I answer your question, you answer my question. By what authority did John the Baptist come and do ministry? And Jesus knew he had them because the Pharisees understood that if they said, well, we agree John was from heaven, then Jesus would say, why didn't you believe him? And if the Pharisees said John was not from heaven, then the people would reject the Pharisees because the people actually believed John Baptist was a prophet. And so Jesus had them, and they knew it, and they said, we're not going to answer it. And Jesus said, well, I'm not going to answer your question either. But here's something to think about. He, he said, if John Baptist thought I was Messiah, here I am standing right in front of you. So you'll have to decide. If John Baptist was a charlatan, then I'm a charlatan. But if John Baptist was from God, here I am. And so Jesus is over and over again, retelling and re-illustrating who he is. Who do people say I am? Who am I? And Jesus is saying, I am the king. I am a priest. I am a prophet. I am the savior of the world. I'm Messiah, Emmanuel. And so he makes this clear in the hearts of his disciples. And now he comes to this decision. And that's what we want to focus our attention on today. Jesus now is at the crossroads of his own personal destiny. In a crossroads decision where destiny hangs in the balance. Now listen to this statement. Listen to me. This is at the core of what I want to teach you this morning. The weight of a big decision, the weight of a major decision in your life, the weight of it at a crossroads moment in your life will always reveal the character of the person making the decision. The, the burden of it, the weight of a major crossroads moment in your life will always force out of you who you really are. The weight of it will reveal your person. Anyone can make a lightweight decision. I mean, what you're going to have for lunch today, no big deal. Everybody can decide that. But if the, if the weight of the decision is substantial and the decision is... Will, impl- will have implications for your life from now on and the life of the people around you. That kind of weighty decision will always reveal your character. And so the greater the decision, the greater the depth and maturity required by the person making the decision. Does that make sense? So the decision Jesus had to make wasn't a decision about whether or not he was going to die. He was going to die. He was going to return to his father's glory Jesus had come from heaven. He was going to return to heaven, to his throne. The question for Jesus is whether or not he was going to die for the sins of all of humanity. So as it turns out, the weighty decision that Jesus had to make is not only a decision for himself, but a decision that influenced every single person who would ever live. How many of you are glad Jesus got the decision right? Are you happy about the fact that he got that one right? Huge. As it turns out, the greatest decision, the most burdensome, the most horrible, the most poignant decision of all times was made by the only guy who's ever lived with the character depth and the quality of that character to actually make the decision. He did it. He did it well. So in Caesarea Philippi, from our text here, Jesus says, all right, it's time to go to Jerusalem. The party is over. It's time to die. Now, here's the question for today. How can anyone make such an important decision? So let's think about that. On your outline, there's some places to fill in. I hope you'll fill in these blanks. The first thing I want to say, number one, is you must be in tune with God. You must be in tune with God. Now, that sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? 
It sounds almost like common sense. Yeah, if you want to make a big, important decision, you want to know what God's idea, what God's will, his purpose, his plan is in that decision. So you want to be in tune with God, what God is saying about it. But being yielded and submitted to God isn't always the thing that people do in the midst of an important decision. Let me put this statement on the screen. Maybe it'll help clarify. The greater the decision, the greater your submission to God must be. The greater your decision, the greater your submission to God must be. And you say, well, that's, that's just common sense. Well, it, it may be for you, but let me just say, you know, as a, as a pastoral leader now for many, many decades, let me just say that I have observed, unfortunately, had the disappointing experience of observing people who do just the opposite of this. So I'm, I just, I want to, I want to just pull you back. I want to pull you back in. If, if you're in the moment, if you're walk, moving up toward a crossroads moment in your life and a major decision is required for you, please get closer to God rather than running away from God. I've watched this many, many times. People coming to a crossroads moment and what they do is they begin to slip away from the protection and the loving care and counsel of God. So they step out under, from out from underneath God's protective care, his authority. They don't seek the scriptures. They're not prayerful in the decision. They don't, uh, they don't seek wise counsel. They don't wait for God's peace. And they make decisions that are completely contrary to God's best plan for their life. And it's because they're not submitted to God. They're not tuned in to God in any kind of intentional way. So could I, could I encourage you? If, you? if you see the crossroads there or you're standing at the crossroads right now, your first and most important movement at this point is to make sure that you are submitted to God and the best you know how in tune with what God is saying to you. Now you say, well, that's just a preacher talking. Listen, I'm trying to save your life because everyone in this room, everyone in this room can share a story at some crossroads moment in your life when you chose poorly. Now you think about that season. Were you in tune with God or were you out of tune, out of touch? So here's number two. You want to write this down. You must be a person spiritually inclined rather than naturally inclined. Spiritually inclined rather than naturally inclined. And by the way, I've seen lots and lots and lots, hundreds and hundreds of people make really good decisions at the crossroads of their lives over the years too. Lots of you, I've watched you, make really godly and good decisions. And it's, it's been really encouraging. But here, a natural person, they will operate out of their emotions or their appetites or their desires or their human intellect or their own perspective, their own worldview, their own understanding. But the Bible, I'll remind you, the Bible says, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. Now, you hear, you hear people, this is especially true out of the celebrity world. Uh, someone will put a camera and a microphone in front of someone who's famous for, uh, for some reason, God knows, why they're famous, and they'll say something just goofy, like, you know, if, you'll just, if you follow your heart, then, then everything will always turn out okay. Hmm. The Bible actually teaches, the Bible teaches that the human heart is desperately wicked. 
more, more, more de deceptive than everything else. That's in the Bible. <laughs> Who can trust it? Don't trust yourself. Don't trust your heart. Don't. Because that natural part of you is oftentimes living and choosing contrary to God's best plan for your life. So if you, you're at the crossroads of your life and you've got a major decision that's going to affect your destiny and the destiny of the people around you, what you want to do is be a spiritually inclined person, not a naturally inclined person. Now let me tell you a few things that a spiritual person does. And you want to write this down too. It's under point number two. The spiritual person operates out of conviction. Everyone say conviction. Conviction. The spiritual person operates out of conviction. Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter said, Messiah. Jesus said, great, you got that right. Now here's what's going to happen next. And when Peter hears that there's going to be betrayal and suffering and death next, Peter goes, no, no. No, we're not going to do that. If there's trouble in Jerusalem, we'll just not go. If there's suffering and rejection and ridicule and death, then no. We'll just stay here in the northern part of the country. We'll, we'll just let Passover weekend just go out on by. We'll not go to Jerusalem. But, but Jesus says, but God says it's time to die. It's time to go to Jerusalem. It's time to die for the sins of the world. And so Jesus pushes back and calls his best friend the devil. Get ye behind me, Satan. You've, you've got... Human interests, natural interests in mind, I have spiritual interest, God's interest in mind. So a spiritual person operates out of conviction. So it doesn't matter what your emotions say or even your own human intellect. If you are a spiritual person, you will act out of conviction, out of conviction. You know it's of God. It's the right thing at the right time for the right reasons. There, there may be more questions than answers, but you know this is what God wants for you. And so as a matter of conviction for doing the right thing in an honorable way, you operate out of conviction. Someone said it this way. They said, you know, it's really not that hard to know what the right thing to do is most of the time. The hard thing is not knowing what's right, the right thing to do. The hard thing is doing it. Can I get a witness? The hard thing is doing it. So you have to be a person spiritually inclined, acting out of conviction. Here's another thing that a spiritual person does. They operate out of obedience. Everyone say obedience. A spiritual person operates out of obedience. Oftentimes there are easier options presented. So you have to choose to obey. Would it be easier for Jesus just to stay in Philippi over the Passover or to go to Jerusalem during Passover, which would be easier. Well, of course. But a spiritual person will do what God says do in an obedient way. It's like uh, having a table of God's will, a map there of the table of God's will for your life and the options on this map. What an obedient person does is they take their yes and they place it on the table and then they step away and say, God, you place my yes on the map. Wherever, whenever, with whomever. My answer to you, God, is yes. I'm obeying you. 
Remember, at the crossroad moments of your life, it's really not about the decision. It's about who you are as a person. Are you an obedient person? And then another thing is the spiritual person operates out of courage. Everyone say courage. Oh. If you thought that following Jesus was easy, you were confused. If you thought, if you thought following Jesus was the course of least resistance, you were misinformed. In order to follow Jesus, you have to be a selfless person, which manifests itself in courage. I will do the selfless thing. So, the, so, so you will do what's right no matter, because you're a courageous, selfless person. <laughs> Here's number three on your outline. You want to write this down. You must also be tuned into God, spiritually inclined. Number three, you must be a deliberate person. Deliberate. Let me explain what I mean. The weight of the decision, as I mentioned, reveals the depth of the person's character. So a mature person will always choose to do the right thing regardless of how it's perceived. The mature person will not be a victim of events. A mature person will not be a victim of circumstances. A mature person will not be a victim of popular opinion, cultural trends, majority idea. A, a, a person who is deliberate will decide based on what they know to be true and what they believe God's, God's word to them is in that moment of, of decision. They're deliberate. And Jesus was as deliberate as any human being's ever been. He looked his boys in the eye and said, okay, now we're going to Jerusalem. And there's trouble waiting us there. But that's where we're going. Sometimes I try to uh, imagine myself with the disciples. I actually put myself... I imagine, this is a sanctified imagination, I place myself physically in the middle of a moment. Maybe you should try that. How about walking with Jesus toward Jerusalem with the disciples for the last time? What is every step doing to you? powerful thing so you must be deliberate you see, I, I can feel myself wanting to go up there and just take Jesus by the elbow and say Lord let's not let's not do this man's going to Jerusalem wow Every step, a deliberate step, because he had you in his mind. He saw you. He saw you. And he kept moving deliberately. That's a strong thing. Last point, number four, write this down. You must make your own decision. You must make your own decision. See, at the crossroads, a great person will make their own decision. It will not be made for them. It won't be made by your peers. It won't be, it won't be made by culture. It won't, 
won't be made by, by someone else's opinion. It won't be made by majority vote. You will make your own decision. Because you're the right kind of person to make that decision. Well, I know this is going to be disruptive to my family. I know, I, know that, I know that this is going to be hard on our marriage because it's hard for my wife to make these kinds of moves. And it's going to be tough on our children. And, the, and my, you know, my daughter just became a Christian last year. She got baptized. And now I know it's going to be hard to pull her out of that nurturing environment of that youth group. And, and uh, the support I get with other men in the life of our church has really saved me from a lot of things and kept me on, on, the, on the track um, and I, I know it's going to be hard on everybody. It's going to be very difficult. But listen, I, I, I can't turn down the $7,500 raise. And so we're moving. We're out. Well, I know, I know, that, I know that, I, that I haven't really prayed about this, and I haven't really sought the scriptures about it, and I haven't talked to my pastor about it or sought wise counsel from people that I really trust in the faith who are mature um, because, you know, he, my fiancé, he's so darn cute, and everybody loves him. And my mother, my mother even approves of him. So even though I haven't really vetted this with, with anybody that I trust, I'm going to go ahead and marry him anyway. Jesus, at the crossroads, this moment is about not the decision. This moment is about Jesus. And you, at the crossroads of your life, find yourself in a moment that is not defined by the question, what decision should I make? That is a moment that is defined by who you are as a person. He is serious. He is somber. He's almost gloomy at times. Can you feel that? Having been or at the crossroads of your own life? He's sensitive to the Father. He's sensitive to God's timing. He's aware of all that. Here's another thing that maybe you identify with. Jesus is lonely. Perhaps the most lonely moments of his life. Perhaps the most lonely moments of anyone's life in all of human history. He sweats, as it were, great drops of blood in Gethsemane. If this cup can pass from me on the cross, he cries out, why have you forsaken me? He is alone. But he has a more eternal perspective. It's no longer about the momentary, short-term miracles or expressions, but now it is a long-range glance. And this is what a wise person does, isn't it? We make decisions not based on short-term Benefit, but long-term. So you have sometimes short-term pain for long-term gain. So at the crossroads of your life, you'll be just like Jesus at the crossroads of his life. Let me put this statement on the screen. It's so true. At the moments of the greatest decisions of your life, it's not really about the decision you make, but rather about who you are. At Caesarea Philippi, it was about who Jesus is. 
at Jerusalem. It's about who Jesus is. Uh, now at the crossroads of his own decision, his personal destiny, he's asking the question, who am I? And it's the same question that we should ask at the crossroads of our lives. Who am I? Am I big enough to make this decision? Am I in tune with God? Am I sensitive to the Spirit? Am I a person of conviction and obedience and selflessness? Am I the right kind of person to make this kind of weighty decision? So you have to settle the question. This story is apocryphal, meaning that it is probably not historically true, although it is revelatory, it reveals a truth. So this story is not in the scripture. So it's, a, it's an apocryphal story that's been passed down in tradition over the centuries. So we don't know that it's actually true, but it carries a weighty truth. And the story goes like this, that years after the resurrection, Peter was in Rome, and there was great suffering in the church there, great persecution coming to the church in Rome. And so Peter was fleeing Rome, and on his way out of Rome, Jesus, in a revelation, meets Peter on the road. And Peter said, is that you, Lord? And Jesus said, it is I. And Peter said, what are you, what are you doing, Lord? And Jesus looks at Peter and says, I'm going into Rome, going into Rome to die. And Peter said, but Lord, you already died. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, well, Peter, you won't die, and so I'll have to die. And tradition says that at that moment, Peter turns and he walks right back into Rome. And again, tradition suggests that Peter came to the end of his life by being crucified, just as, the, the, as Jesus, except he was crucified at his own request upside down. When Rome was crucifying Peter, he said, please crucify me upside down. I don't feel worthy to be crucified in the same manner as the Lord. I grew up in a little Methodist church in a small town, and we sang the hymns every week. And there's a hymn that we would sing from time to time in my home church when I was growing up, and I don't think I've heard it sung for about 50 years. The title of that hymn is, Must Jesus Bear the Cross Alone? Must Jesus Bear the Cross Alone? Could I just say, God forbid? God forbid that Jesus would bear the cross alone? We go back to the words of our text today from Mark chapter 8. And Jesus said on the way to Jerusalem, he paused in front of the disciples and others who were following him. And he said, if anyone wishes to be a follower of mine, they must do these things. They must deny themselves, take up their own cross and follow me. He went on to say, if you wish to save your life, then you will lose your life. But if you lose your life for my sake, then you will find it. And Jesus was just reiterating to all of us that the only way that we can become the kind of person that we need to be at the crossroads moments of our lives is to actually be an authentic follower of Jesus which is a life that denies ourselves and is willing to take up the cross our own personal cross, and follow him. 
Why do you suppose they call it the crossroads? The only way that you can make the right decisions at the crossroads is if you've taken up the cross of Christ and carried it. By saying no to yourself and no to your own interest and no to your own ways and no to your own opinions and yes to the greater plan and purpose of God for your life. That's, that's how you get to be the person that you need to be in a moment of decision. Again, did anyone say this was easy? But it is the way. It is the way of the cross. To the degree that we embrace it is the degree to which we will be the kind of person that God can use in the major decision points of our lives. He who has an ear, let him hear. Let's pray. Lord, uh, this morning we thank you for your word. Sometimes difficult, challenging. And yet we know that as we take up your cross and follow you, that you'll reveal in us and through us everything necessary to make the decisions at the crossroads of our own personal lives. Lord, then help us to settle this answer at the crossroads with Jesus. to settle who we are in relationship to you. Maybe you're in the room today, friends, and you, you say, I believe it. I believe Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah of God. If that's your witness, if that's your testimony, then well, take up your cross and follow him. And when you do at the crossroads of your life, you'll get a revelation of Jesus. And you'll make decisions that matter and decisions that last for eternity. Lord, we confess we are weak and needy and mostly undone. And so we need your strength. We need your grace. We need your help. So meet us today, each one of us at the point of our need, wherever we are on the journey. Help us, oh God, to take the next step toward you so that more and more we can reflect your life, your character. We pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Would you stand with us?